and welcome to Faith Facts with Father Howard. I'm Lindsay here with Father Howard, and on today's episode, we're going to do a little review of where we are with COVID. So let's get started. Hey, Lindsay, uh, again, it's, it's a pleasure to be able to sit down and, and to talk about just some issues surrounding the whole COVID thing. And I suppose a lot of us are, are sick and tired, and we hope that we never, ever have to talk about it again. Amen. Uh, however. Um, however you're going to make us. Yes, I'm going to make you, and I'm and recognizing that sometimes we can see how far we've come. I, I mean, when you think about it, is that things are beginning to start to feel even a little bit more normal. Mm-hmm. And, and you can just see this, Oh, people kind of taking this deep sigh and, and, and recognizing how good it feels not to have to necessarily wear the mask all the time. How good it feels to be able to do some things in a, in a normal way from where we were. Um, how, how freeing that can be. And I was uh, just talking a short time ago with the teachers uh, as, you know, students are now out of school and, and uh, they were out and about. And thinking about, wow, you know, as, as I was reflecting with them a bit, that hoping they would never have to go through something like that again. Uh, I have to say that, you know, overall, people weathered it pretty well. I mean, yes, you know, there was, a, there was any number of painful moments. And yes, I know that there was a terrible, terrible loss of life. Um, but also it, it, it pointed out in some ways the resilience that people have. And, and I think it points out, too, how much we really do need one another. Um, we like to think that the, we're these rugged individualists <laughs> and, you know, you know, type of thing. And that's just simply not the case. That's not the case. And, and we begin to see in so many ways how our lives and, and, uh, are, are intimately bound with each other and, and how... We, we need each other for support and, and just to, to know somebody cares, those kinds of things. Um, and, and so I wanted just to be able to take a little time to um, uh, reflect a bit about kind of where we are and, and, and where we've been, uh, realizing that we've come a long ways even with the parish here. We've come a long ways. And, and as I've said to you as part of the staff and others that uh, we're still standing and um, and we're still gathering to pray, and and we are very methodically, you know, looking forward to that time mm-hmm. uh, when we are able to continue to make changes and and and, and to uh, fully open. open. Yeah, it's it yeah. just and it's going to take a little time. Now, I will I will be the first to admit that I I tend to be a little bit more cautious in that <laughs> regard, and and I would say that maybe part of that is is recognizing my own mortality. Um, if I had been, if I were 20 years younger, 30 years younger, I would probably feel differently. In fact, I know I would, because there were any number of circumstances uh, that we were faced with when being a priest, is that when I first came out uh, as a priest, is that, or I should, when I was first ordained, is that the AIDS epidemic was, was there. Mm-hmm. And, and we didn't know what we were dealing with. And, and there was, you know, the fear when you went into a hospital or whatever, because we didn't know what we were dealing with. And yet I know that whether for ill or for good, 
is that I rushed in and, and I was going to anoint anyone and didn't make a difference. I always followed the protocols the hospitals had, of course, but I was just going to do that. I know for a fact, being that I'm older, I was more cautious this time around. Mm-hmm. And and maybe I'm hoping that it's because I'm a little wiser. <laughs> Not that I, I still wouldn't have done some things. I, I would have. But maybe I would have done it a little bit differently because I'm a little wiser now. I'm also recognizing that I'm a whole lot closer of seeing the Lord than, you know, maybe I was at that time. Um, but no one ever really knows. But you're right. You're right. Um, but it's it's recognizing that um, we've come a long ways. And, and, and just to reflect on that a little bit. Just with some of the things that we've we've taken, you know, changes that we've made, and, and you might remember a few of them too, is that, you know, being able to come in more of the entrances of the church. And, and just because we didn't have to necessarily have as much control as to how many people were in church. So some of those things, it just makes a difference when you uh, take the signs off the doors. That, so uh, satisfying. Yeah, that, that looked rather formidable when you, when you mm-hmm. walk past the building. It's nice to see, you know, either no signs or smaller. Or just windows. Yes, yes, it's, it's nice to see. Um, the options now, the greater options of not wearing masks. And yet I know there are people who are not quite comfortable yet with that. And to be able to respect both groups and saying, you know what, it's okay if you don't feel quite comfortable yet. And it's okay if you choose not to wear it. But let's always be aware of one another. Let's always be aware of the fact that all of us are not quite at the same point. And I'm hoping that as things start to loosen up a little bit, for those who are wearing masks, that they grow in a, in a greater and greater comfort level of saying, you know, uh, I'm not going to die if I don't have it, um, and, and are able then to relax a little bit more too. But that takes time, and I think we have to give people time. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it is interesting that even as with the masses that we have here at the parish, is that uh, where there are opportunities for people to wear or not wear the mask, is that there are folks who still wear it. Mm-hmm. God bless them. Um, we do have masses, though, as you know, where uh, people are still required and, and again, that's in recognizing, respecting the fact not everybody is quite at the same place. And I w- would want them to be able to, to somehow engage, you know, a time of prayer and gathering and to do so without worrying about possibly getting sick, compromised immune systems, maybe not simply not being able to be vaccinated at this point, that somehow we can respect all of those folks, and and it's not demand that you have to be where I am. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I really do believe that the Lord would have been a little more methodical too. I I really, out of respect for the people that are part of the community. So we have we we've come a long ways. Um, I mean, you can go back. We had a podcast in November ish yeah, about so. when we thought back to what. It had been when we first started in kind of our whole process. Yes. So just, you know, going from there, it's... It's it's remarkable sometimes you think about... And you wonder at times, were we ever going to get there? Mm-hmm. And uh, and I really presume that we would, is that uh, it's just, it's just going to take some time, that's all. 
And, and I understand the sometimes the desire of saying, I just let's burn them all and let's, you know, masks. The, yes, the mass, the you know, uh, I, I get that. But I think we would do so that would be terribly to me, it would be terribly disrespectful. And I think that we are still able to make some of those adjustments and to do so wisely mm-hmm. and to do so, you know, uh, recognizing that, you know, people have to get to that point in, in each of us have to get to a particular point. And uh, I know that uh, I'm certainly not at a point where I am going to do things as I did in the past. I just, one, sometimes you're just out of the, you know, habit of doing them too. Mm-hmm. Just know that there's no desire, you know, to do some things. And if, for example, I used to go out uh, to restaurants all the time. I don't have the same desire to do that. <laughs> and it's it's not because restaurants are bad. I, I, I've had some great meals and with great people and such. It's just something in me has changed a bit. Well, after, what, a year and a half of, like, not going out to restaurants and Making sure yeah. people aren't standing next to you or breathing right. on you. It's like, I can't, I can't do it. <laughs> so we, you know, we've, we've come such a long ways. When th- and even, even when we think about why we continue to do some of the podcasting that we have is that it was to stay connected, even though it started before, as, yep. you, as you mentioned before. Just COVID. before. Yeah. Is that it has become a way that, or a means that we have used to continue to stay connected to people. I'm still amazed at times, emails or cards or something that people are saying, you know what, I was listening to that podcast of yours and on this or this and to have a discussion on it. They only it. ever tell you that. <laughs> yeah, well, try to remind other folks too that, you know, it's certainly you've been a big part of that. But it's, it's realizing that it took on a bit of a different meaning, mm-hmm. you know, when we think about that. It was a way to reach out. Um, Give it, education without yes. bringing people to the building. And it was a way to share information, uh, not just, you know, church information, but sharing other types of information mm-hmm. that we were able to reach out to people. Now, and this I, sounds like we're, we're saying we're ending the podcast. No, we're not ending the n- podcast. No, we're, we're not. We're just doing a review. In fact, we, we were talking a bit about uh, just a short time ago, Lindsay and I were talking about uh, a whole other series mm-hmm. of of. Of podcasts, so no, we're not planning on, on on ending this anytime soon, unless we get a huge outcry that nobody <laughs> wants to stop. listen anymore. Yes. <laughs> What's interesting too is that even when we think about how far we've come through the diocese, that we've had nine matrices that that have you know all multiple pages uh, each. Yes, we've had uh, multiple telephone conferences. I had never heard of Zoom before all of this, and we have had any number of Zoom conferences. In fact, I have a Zoom conference this evening at about 4 o'clock. So we've come a long way. So where are we now when I think about that, and and what are some concerns that I have? Because those have also been questions, as you know, Lindsay, that, that we've talked a bit about in our staff meetings and uh, as we think about church, and, and I have read any number of articles uh, uh, with an ecumenical group that I am part of, uh, of senior pastors, uh, the diocese has, has put out any number of pieces of information. But there are concerns that we have uh, because of just what I was talking about, that people get out of a habit, of a way of doing things. People begin to see that 
maybe this fits in a whole lot better than uh, I ever I hadn't even thought about before. So what are the things that that uh, I'm talking about? Well, one of the key things is, is that I've, ri- I've not written I have read a number of articles about is that will people come back to church? And this is not just Catholics asking the question. This is our uh, evangelical brothers and sisters, our Protestant brothers and sisters, their Jewish brothers and sisters. They're asking the same questions. Are people going to come back to church? Some will not. You know, just some will not. Um, sometimes it's the break in the routine. You've just been doing something, and it's just automatic. I was talking to some dear friends a few days ago about that, is that we would gather for coffee on a Wednesday morning at one point or on a Saturday morning virtually weekly. We did that for years. It was Wait, not virtually, but like almost every week. Almost, yes. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah virtually takes on a new, <laughs> yeah. In person. Yes, in person. Okay. Almost every single week. It was a routine. We would gather at 6.30 in the morning. Oh, my gosh. It was great. We would have coffee. We would have sometimes breakfast. We would laugh and tell stories. And we just, it was, it was part of our routine. Mm-hmm. And we would spend an hour and a half. And then we would, you know, go on about our day's business. It was rare that we missed a Saturday morning. And then it became a Wednesday morning. And this was not a short drive. I mean, there were times we drove, you know, I would drive at times to, uh, in Waukesha, I would drive to Union Grove. Uh, we would... Uh, and you met at 6.30, which means you had to start oh yeah, driving nice and early. Oh, yeah. Or we would meet uh, uh, in uh, um, Germantown in the Cracker Barrel. And, and I was driving, you know, a good half hour or more. Mm-hmm. And they were also. Because it was important. Sure. Now, COVID kind of blew that out of the water, but we. But would, you could do it virtually. Uh, well, yeah, I suppose we could, but we didn't. <laughs> <laughs> but we were just talking about that of, of of getting back together because we enjoy. It was something we enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's one of those things that we look at that and and you ask yourself the question: Is this of a value that I would want to do this again? And, and yeah, sometimes it is. And sometimes you look and say, you know what? I'm not there anymore. I'm just not there. And that's one of the concerns we have about church. Now, be, and part of this is not, and, and one of the reasons we ask this question is, is people no longer see this as, well, you got to go to church because you got to go to church. Well, people, many people, not all, many people just don't believe that anymore. That if they're going to church, it's because they want to go to church, not because someone told them that they have to. Um, And we can rant and rave and theologize at them all we want, but it will not convince them because they simply don't believe sometimes things that they were necessarily taught. Now, I believe that we need to address the issue. We can't just let it be and saying, well, they don't come back, they don't come back. I believe that we, we have to address the issues. But I believe we also have to use a different tact. Saying to them, you got to go to church because you're going to go to hell, they don't believe it. And that is not going to convince them. Is that being able to invite them to go to church because 
you see a value and you want them to experience the same tremendous value that you experience. But that's not ranting and raving. That's inviting. That's being an example to them of how much this means to you in order to reflect how much it can mean to them. We're going to help get people back if we help them to see that they want what we have. Not because we're going to threaten them with, with threats that just don't ring true. So it is an issue that, that, that we as, as church leaders, that we have to take it seriously into consideration. Mm -hmm. Will people come back? I believe that not everyone will. But I believe that using a different tact and inviting people and taking it seriously enough that we're living it ourselves, I believe that many will. And maybe people that hadn't been there in the first place. But we have to be convinced it's too. And that means how we talk about it. And I've said that before too. It's a matter of do we say to someone, well, I have to go to church on Sunday. Or no, I can't do that at that time because it's important for me to go and pray with the community at that time. That's a very different message than I have to go to church on Sunday. Mm -hmm. Very different message. And we have to be deliberate. I believe in how we speak and and what we're what we're sharing with people to help them see the value that we see. One of the things that we, you know, concerns that we have leadership of churches is what has happened to us financially? And how do we look at that and saying, you know, how do we address the financial shortfall that I don't think there is a church that I am aware of that hadn't had some sort of financial shortfall. Some had much greater shortfalls than others, of course. Yeah. However, but we certainly can't continue by, by being in deficit spending or by simply allowing, you know, it takes money to run a church. Simply takes money to run a church. If we're going to keep the lights on and the air conditioning going, <laughs> you know, it takes money. To, which to, will bring people in. Yeah, which will bring. But that takes funds, too. Yeah. And uh, uh, so it's, it's being able to look at that and encourage people, again, that what we have to offer is a value. And their generosity helps us to keep that value being offered as opposed to just shutting down, shutting down, shutting down, shutting down things because we can't afford them. Because eventually we're going to shut things off completely. Mm -hmm. we, we, you can't exist that way. And we have, we have something, wonderful, something wonderful going here. You know, the school and, and, and what we are able to do for children. Uh, the parish and what we are able to do with formation for children and adults and such. And there, I believe there's a whole lot more that we can do you know, using the things that we've learned over time and to be able to, to look at that. So we have to keep that financial picture um, in place. Another piece that, that really we look at here is how do we stay connected to people? To me, and, and um, to me, my concern at times is that as a church, as a Catholic church, we tend to be hesitant about embracing technology. Mm -hmm. I think that that is to our detriment. I believe that we as a church need to embrace it and to use it more than we have. Many of our 
Protestant brothers and sisters, evangelical brothers and sisters, uh, other religious traditions have used technology to a much greater extent than we have. I'm not sure that we would even be where we are if it hadn't been, in a sense, for COVID. Sure. Is that uh, we certainly here at the parish have invested in, in technology in order to make sure uh, that we stay connected to people. But I think that the technology can also be used in a lot of different creative ways that would allow us to do some formation things. Whether it's with our school, whether it's with our formation program, uh, whether it is with the adults, young adults. The fact is, is that many, I should, more and more people are being connected through technology. Groups, rather than necessarily small group sharing, mm-hmm. as, as we had in the early 80s, 80s and such, is that there are the groups that are sharing, but they're doing so online. Mm-hmm. How are we tapping into that? That we are able to bring that message to a small group and we are able to have that and share that message and then they can share, you know, as, as oftentimes these things go. In some ways, the possibilities of small group sharing and small group information could be much more far reaching than a small group that meets in our basement or at a person's home. As you are aware, uh, Lindsay, that you know we have people from the East Coast and the West Coast that, that listen in, that connect with us on a regular basis. Um, that simply wouldn't be if it were not for the technology that we have. Yeah. So I think that it's, it's being able to not be afraid of it, but it's being able to recognize that there is a value to it. And how do we take that and how do we bring that value into the evangelizing processes that, that we are about in saying that we can make a heck of a big difference in people's lives? And who knows then where that will go, you know, uh, in, you know, on the East Coast or the West Coast or wherever coast or we are at, and how they might be able to take that to another person. Even something like their podcast. You know, the numbers of topics, you were saying that this is number 60, 60 I well, believe. Yeah. Recorded, but you know, yeah, now the order might be a little different. But, but yeah. when you think of that, is that the people that listen to this, um, I know that, for example, Deacon Mark has used uh, a couple of my podcasts, you know, for the RCIA people or baptismal family people, I should say. Mm-hmm. It's one way is that we couldn't meet always in person. But he was able to say, here's Father Howard, the pastor of the parish. Here's his sense of baptism and, and family and, and all of those marvelous things. Here's what he's thinking. Take a listen to that. And then let's sit down and talk about it a bit. Uh, in fact, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be meeting uh, next, this coming Sunday, I'm going to be meeting uh, with uh, a, uh, a family who wants to have a child baptized. And they'll be listening to a ba- uh, podcast about baptism. <laughs> and they're going to be listening to some other things that through the diocese and such. Technology can do tremendous things. Um, it, you know, it doesn't have to cause harm. It can do a lot of good, but we can't be afraid to use it. Yeah. We just can't be afraid. So how do we stay connected? I believe also, and, and, and I know, again, that whenever I, I do, I say it's my opinion. 
and I do believe this, is that I believe that our church will be a little smaller in the future. Not because people are less holy, but going to a building is not necessarily where the spirituality of people is. Um, also, that goes back to the healthy use of technology. Um, part of that is the fewer and fewer number of clergy that are available. Even though in our own diocese, we are ordaining, you know, uh, two or three priests on an average, you know, per year. The fact is, is that we still have retiring 10, 15 or so people retiring. So it does not take a rocket scientist to figure out <clears throat> that those two or three are not going to fulfill the spaces of 10 or 15. And the numbers were even greater than that in the distant, not too distant past. Um, so just by virtue of the fact of, of, of the availability of clergy is that I believe that the numbers of churches that we have in our own archdiocese will probably continue to uh, be reduced a bit until we can finally some stabilize that more, <coughs> until we can stabilize it. Um, but that's a concern. And how do we... Now, it's a concern, I should say, that is... Um, that is a concern here for the United States. We have been spoiled for decades. Mm -hmm. We have been spoiled. Uh, right now, or a few years ago, I should say, that the average number of people per priest in the United States was around 3,000. Okay? Now, you may say, well, that's a lot of people. <laughs> when you think that the average, at the same time, the average number of people per priest around the larger part of the world is one priest to 30,000. So in so comparison, we've been spoiled, yes. We have been very spoiled. We've had our own parishes. We talk about having our own priests. When you go to Savannah Jagua in the Dominican Republic, uh, our sister parish that our diocese sponsors and such, is they're going to 15, 20 villages. You know, they have one parish. Mm -hmm. And generally, those people will travel maybe three or four or more hours to get to the Mass once a month, maybe, is that you have then the priests that are there going out trying to get to that once a month Mass by either uh, horse, by walking, or by, you know, Jeep or something like sure. that. We have been terribly spoiled. <laughs> and as a consequence, we have said, well, let Father do that, let Father do that, let Father do that. And there it's that they have, you know, they have trained catechists that are the recognized religious leaders in, their, in a particular community. And it's those people that prepare families for baptisms, for sacraments, for all of that stuff, you might say. So that when father goes to that village, you know, once a month or once every other month, is that these people are prepared so he has baptisms, maybe weddings, um, maybe wow. he has a, a funeral for several people. They've already been buried, but they will have the funeral mass for several people. Is that you might have four or five weddings at one time. We have been terribly <laughs> spoiled, you know, where yeah. I want my own wedding and I want my priest I want my deacon, I want my this, my that. On this day. Yes. And for a large part of the world, 
I would say the vast majority of the world. That's simply unheard of. Simply unheard of. And this is not about what you want. This is about the weekend that Father happens to be there. Deal with it. You know, deal with it. So we need to help. We need to do more in education for folks to help them grow in an understanding that this vocation crisis that we talk about, and we're still not out of it, has been around us for a long time. I would be so bold as to say, to say at times we just ignored it. We believed that it would somehow go away, and we believed that you know more and more guys would you know would want to be priests. Well, the fact is is that it ain't happening, and it hasn't happened. Have we stabilized? Yes, we have, but we're nowhere near you know where we used to be, and I don't I do not necessarily believe we're ever going to get there again. Now that's all been never is a very long time. I just don't suspect we're going to get there. I think that you know what's going to happen is that what we're experiencing today and shortly in the future is that will tend to be now the norm around the world. And there will be there will always be I believe uh, men who consider being priests. Um, where our church goes in the future, that's in the future. Um, but I do not suspect it's going to be, you know, where it was in the 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s, and 70s. Mm -hmm. uh, they oftentimes refer to it as an elephant going through the python. <laughs> Is that, you know, the elephant started, entered the python in the, you know, 20s, 30s, in the European influx of mm -hmm. peoples. They brought their own priests. Everybody, family was to have a priest. There was a whole different sense of church as the python entered the and it just kept moving through well the python finally died there's a visual the python died yeah. oh yeah the elephant the elephant well, okay. the elephant finally you know got out of the python just smaller passed through gotcha is that um and i think that again what we experience will be much more the norm and you think covid just kind of accelerated that yes a bit. I, I believe it did i believe it did it, it accelerated you know the breaking of the habits uh, maybe more quickly than uh, we had thought it might. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't believe the, I don't mean to spell doom and gloom for the church. I, I really don't. But I think that there's a new reality that we have to be willing to embrace and to work with and, and, and as a consequence, you know, bring revival and, re and renewed possibilities. Mm -hmm. But we aren't going to do that by just same old, same old. That, that I do not believe that that will happen. Uh, it is because we're going to be maybe a little more creative. Uh, I mean, when you think about what did Jesus face? He faced a group of people that wanted to do just same old, same old. And even the apostles at the first, you know, when they were talking about the, uh, you know, whether or not people should be circumcised or basically become Jewish first before they enter the Christian community. And thank God, you know, that both Peter and Paul eventually had the good sense to say, we can't just do same old, same old. What he, Jesus proposed was something new and something different and something exciting and life-giving. That's why people joined it. If it was same old and same old, they would have been right back where they started from. And I think in some ways we are on a threshold like that also. Mm -hmm. We cannot, I believe we must not, go back to same old, same old. we got to think outside the box. Yes. And that is, I know it sounds very cliche, but I really believe, Lindsay, <clears throat> that that is something that we have to be willing to do. I uh, think of some of the things that 
we as a staff have talked about. Some of the things that, you know, we look at and saying, is this possible? I think, you know, you were looking at doing a musical. These are all different Not looking things. at. We are we, doing. We are doing. Children, Children of Eden. That's right. July 23rd through the 25th. <laughs> Get your tickets now. But when we look at that, we look at these are ways that are not necessarily totally new, but boy, they can be exciting if they're done well. And how we get the word out, because I know that you can uh, buy tickets for this uh, production, you know, vir- for virtual uh, viewing also. Yep. So that that's the kind of thing that we have to be able to keep thinking of these different ways, because that can just spur on any number of different possibilities. Um, The other thing that I think that is important for us is that when it comes to church, and and this may sound like a a strange comment, people, many people, are not simply going to stay at a church because that's what they've always done. Today, you are going to see people moving around much more than probably any time in our history. Between Catholic churches or between all churches? Both and. Is that if the Catholic church in the town is not offering something that's solid and life-giving, they're going to go to the Lutheran church down the street or the Presbyterian church or the Methodist church. As the saying often goes, the largest church in the United States is the Catholic church. The second largest church in the United States is are ex-Catholics. They didn't go there just because. Is that I think we need to take a serious look at what are we offering people. And if we want people to come back, we got to make sure that we are offering them something that is life-giving. And that, to me, means not just throwing at them a bunch of theology. We can theologize all we want. But then again, people can pick up a textbook and get the same thing. We have to make sure that the gospel comes alive. We have to make sure that when people enter our doors, it's not a show. It's not, you know, Father's Funny Hour. It's not because of what it's the parish has to be able to offer something that is life-giving. Is that you think about the, the reasons why people stay. You know, good music, good hospitality, and good preaching. Uh, homilies. <laughs> yes, good preaching. If you only got two legs, okay, they might stay a while, but you got to have three good legs. I mean, the Trinity, come on. Um, yes. Too often we relied on, you got to be here because you got to be here, and it's a sin if you're not. Again, people are not buying it. They just don't believe it. Mm-hmm. They just don't believe it. Um, so, If we're going to keep people in our doors and and to be life-giving, then I believe we have to make sure that what we give them and offer them is life-giving. we got to be able to listen. we got to be able to be relevant. We've got to be able to to help the gospel come alive. One of my questions that I ask myself whenever I preach is, what am I offering them that they can take home with them and maybe ask the question, wow, I'd never thought of it 
that way, or maybe make the comment, I never thought of that way before. Or to be able to make the comment, that's how I could use that, you know. Um, or to be able to think of something completely on their own and to be able to ask the question, you know, as I'm preaching or whatever, saying, how did he get that out of that? <laughs> but at the same time, being able, and I've had people come up to me, and it's great when they do. They've come up to me and have said, you know, Father Howard, I don't know where you got your idea from, but this is what I thought it was. And a lot of times it's like, wow, I'd never thought of it that way. And part of it is because, you know, they have families, they have spouses, they have the work that they do. Um, an insight that maybe one of their teenage sons or daughters or, or young children brought to them is that it's, it's got to be in some ways a dialogue. And so if I'm just ranting at them, if I'm just spouting all sorts of theology at them, they'll walk out and say, Meh, I wonder what's on my grocery list. They're not going to get that far. They're going to be in the listening to the homily and be checked out they what's on be, your grocery yeah, list. Yeah, they would have zoned a long time ago. I don't want them to zone. Now, am, do I think that I do that all the time? Absolutely not. <laughs> there are times when I walk away from a homily and I say, that really stunk. And, and, and so I will literally... I've witnessed it. Yeah. I will literally go and that night and do a whole different homily. Mm -hmm. Because... I was so angry at how it came across. And sometimes you don't necessarily know until you say it. Right. Which is really funny when you go to multiple masses and you go to one and you're expecting the same homily and you're like, that is not anything close to what he was talking about yesterday. And sometimes it's because of something somebody said. Sometimes it's because I just was so disgusted with it myself. Is that, you know, uh, I tend to be a little more extemporaneous that way. But I got to give them something. Mm -hmm. the The point for me is I have got to give them something. It's not just about hearing me talk, and it's not even for them hearing me talk. It's about somehow the Spirit touching their lives. And if if we are going to, you know, when we as we come out of this whole COVID process, because of the concerns that it brings to us, I think more than ever we need to be looking at how we preach. And asking ourselves, are we feeding them truly life-giving, the life-giving message? Or are we just quoting theologians? Um, and I think we need to be giving life-giving messages and allowing them then to, to run with that and see how that can be lived uh, in, in their day-to-day. -day. So, you know, when I think about the whole COVID issues and such, it really has... Uh, demanded of us a, a different way of thinking about things. Mm -hmm. And I believe if, if we're smart, I believe if we're smart, is that we will continue to really talk about that. And that's one of the things, as you know, that I have brought to the staff of how do we do it differently? That may mean we have to leave some things behind. It may. It may mean that. That's okay. When Jesus told the disciples to go out and do what they did, it meant they had to leave some things behind. I believe that that was probably extremely difficult to do. We know for a fact that Paul, after his conversion, he had to go away for a while for some prayer and reflection. And I suspect part of that was because 
of what it meant for him. Now, he was a real zealot in lots of ways. You know, I haven't been dragging people to prison and all of that, is that he was a real zealot. What it must have meant for him to truly embrace what it meant to be justified through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That it was not the law anymore, the law that he had espoused ever since he was growing up. I can't imagine what that must have been like. But I believe we get a bit of a taste of it. You know, if we're, I believe if we're smart, we will get a bit of a taste of it by looking at and saying, what do we might have to leave behind? And then as we do, what does that mean we got to focus on because it will be life-giving in the years to come? Uh, so there's a lot that's been happening. And yeah, just a lot for know. everyone to do. Yeah. Your brother, priest, staff. People yeah. out in the congregation. Yeah, it really is. It takes all of us to it figure does. it out. It does. And I think this, the, I think the smart ones recognize that, that we as clergy and as seminaries, we can't do it alone. <laughs> we can't. And we were never meant to in the first place. But we can't do it alone. We have to be willing to really draw on the expertise of our staff members, our congregations, our and and, and asking them more and more, what is life giving to you and how can we help make that happen? What do we need to be doing rather than just how do we need to be maintaining? You know, in some ways it's been described that right now sometimes as a church we're in hospice mode. <laughs> you know, all we're waiting to do is letting things die because we're just maintaining and saying we, we can't be in hospice mode. No, but the good news is people come off hospice sometimes. That is true. So That is true. We and can come off it. You bet. And we're going to do that when people take an active role and don't just stand around waiting for something to die. True. Lots all of right. good stuff. With all that, we're going to leave it there. We hope you enjoyed that conversation, and we will see you next time. <laughs>